Well, it's wonderful to see all of you here this morning. I want to welcome you if you're a guest with us today. Uh, our college students, welcome home. If you're returning, uh, welcome for the first time. For those of you who are freshmen or new to our congregation, we're just thrilled to death to have you back. For those of you who are worshiping online uh, as you worship on SOCC.TV, we want to say welcome to you as well. Uh, before we get into our, our new series, let me just make a, a, a mention of something we're dealing with, and that is, so far, so good on the lights. This past week, we're replacing the roof on this building, as you know, and one of those freak kind of connections where the roof was off and a thunderstorm comes up and water gets into the building right over all of the electrical equipment that controls the lights in this room which at first we didn't think we were going to have any lights in here for Sunday, for today. And so yeah, they're, they're working right now, but they've been off and on all morning. So if they go out a little bit, it's not because they're being delinquent in our uh, booth upstairs. It's because we're dealing with uh, lights that are hanging on by a thread. All right. So, so far so good. Just uh, pray that we'll get through the rest of the morning, all right? We're in this new series, BYOG, Bring Your Own God, which is a look at the many typical but often inadequate human understandings of Almighty God. Now, let me quickly add this caveat. I will not be able to explain God in this series. I have no delusions that I'm capable of describing him in any way that will honor him and will answer our deep questions about him. After all, through the prophet Isaiah, God made that impossibility quite clear. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And truly, folks... Do you really want to trust your eternity to a God that I could explain to you in human words, words that are equally inadequate to explain the majesty of a double rainbow after the storm or the splendor of the Grand Tetons as the dawn begins to paint the mountain peaks with light? Some things just cannot be captured in human words. And doesn't it stand to reason that this mortal life will never be able to fully comprehend the immortal God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, we scoff at those of history past, men and women who took pieces of stone and carved images in those stones and then bowed down before those stones as if what they created had actually become their gods. How ridiculous. But it is equally ridiculous to think that we can put God into a box of simple human definitions and keep him confined with a barrier of inadequate words. So what then is the purpose of this series? Well, it isn't an attempt to explain everything about Almighty God. It is an attempt to keep us from falling into error about those things that we do know about God. God has made some things very clear in his word, and we mess those up too. We don't want to create him in our image, nor do we want to put him in a box as if to try and confine who God is. Culture around us has a tendency to do that very thing. Far too many people I run into think of him as a Sunday morning only God. We come together to worship him, and we have the best of intentions while we're here. We truly believe, and I think we truly desire to honor him. 
But on Monday, we quickly set aside such spiritual thoughts. I mean, we're not here, out of sight, out of mind. We're not in church. We're back in the real world, and it demands every bit of cunning and craftiness in order to survive. I mean, it's true. We'll give God his day. Actually, we'll give God his morning. But the rest of the week, that belongs to us. In other words, in other words, we put God in a box marked Sunday only, Sunday only, and tuck him away until the weekend. Got a question for you. Is your God a Sunday morning only God? Now I know what you're thinking. Boxes aren't so bad. That's a pretty, pretty nice box here. Do you, do you realize everything we use cardboard boxes for? Just a simple cardboard box. Big, small, medium, in between. Sometimes we'll use a box like this for trash. You know, pitch our trash in a box like that. Sometimes we'll use a box like that that's recyclable to hold our recyclables. We do all kinds of things with boxes. A simple cardboard box is used for storing keepsakes, delivering food, shipping returns, packing for moving, filing papers that you want to keep but that you'll never use again, organizing stuff in the trunks of our cars, tidying up the toys in the playroom, sorting laundry, wrapping gifts, protecting the garage floor from oil drips, housing Rover's pet bed, dressing up for Halloween as a robot, and creating makeshift furniture in dorm rooms. <laughs> a cardboard box is just, well, it's really versatile. And it's awesome for make-believe. As a kid, sometimes dad would bring home a big box. I had the best time in those boxes. I'd cut doors in them and windows in them. They became forts and they became airplanes and they became trucks. It was all the same box. It just depended on what make-believe scenario you wanted. You give a kid a big box and what they will do with it is magical. There's just one thing we can never do with a box and that's put God in it as if that were even possible. Now, what do I mean when I talk about putting God in a box? I'm talking about the way we compartmentalize God in our minds and our hearts. Because if we were honest with ourselves, deep down inside, most of the time, we really don't want him to have free reign in every area of our lives. We want him relegated to the smaller religious sector of our brain and heart. We really don't want him to be Lord of our lives, just available when we need him to intervene. And you say, oh, I, I would never treat God that way. Really? There were, there were sure plenty of people in the Bible that tried to do that with God. And I suspect that if we were honest with ourselves, we might be able to relate to some of their motivations. So let's, let's take a look for just a couple minutes this morning at, at, at a couple boxes that we tend to put God in as if it were possible that help make God a Sunday morning only God. Uh, the first box is the box of limited influence. Box of limited influence. The word manipulate means to control or influence a person or situation cleverly, unfairly, or sometimes even unscrupulously. Now again, we cannot control God, but that, that doesn't really keep us from trying. You see, we would prefer to manipulate God as opposed to having God influence us. Thus, the Sunday morning only God. 
our attempt to limit his control or influence in our lives. And we find this often in Scripture. As a matter of fact, there's a story in the book of Numbers, chapter 22, uh, that's, that's an interesting one to me. When the Israelites swelled into the plains of Moab on their way to the promised land, the Moabite king sent word to the prophet Balaam to have him place a curse on the Hebrew people. He was afraid of what they might do. But Balaam knew what God wanted. Balaam knew that the Hebrew people were God's people and he refused the king. But the king continued to offer more and more and more wealth to Balaam if he would just place a curse on God's people. Balaam knew what God wanted. Balaam knew he shouldn't be tempted by the king's offer, but he just couldn't help it. But maybe, maybe you see, maybe he could convince God otherwise. I mean, after all, I think to Balaam, he was a Sunday morning only God. And God wouldn't realize what was going on during the rest of the week. So Balaam set out to talk to the king. I mean, what harm would there be if he went to the king and actually talked to him a little bit? And maybe along the way, he could change God's mind. God, however, was angry. And God sent the angel of the Lord to intervene. And when the angel stood in the road that Balaam was traveling on his donkey with a sword drawn... His eyes were so clouded with his worldly vision that he could not see the angel in front of him, but the donkey could. <laughs> and as they got close, the donkey skittered off the road into the field, and Balaam didn't know why, but Balaam beat the donkey until he got him back up on the road, and they went on their way. The angel appeared a second time, this time in a narrow confine, and the, and the donkey trying to get around the angel crushed Balaam's ankle up against a stone wall. And again, Balaam beats the donkey into submission. A third time in a very narrow canyon where there was no space to get around. The angel of the Lord stood in front of him, sword drawn. The donkey can see him. Balaam can't. And this time the donkey does the only thing that he can do. And that is he just lays down under Balaam and stops. And he beats the donkey again. And then God stepped in with one of the more unique miracles of Bible history. Numbers 22 verse 28 reads like this. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What, what have I done that deserves your beating me three times? It asked Balaam. Well, you've made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I'd just kill you. But I'm the same donkey you have ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? <sighs> no, Balaam admitted. Now, I never cease to be amazed when I read this story. I have no problem believing that God could give voice to the donkey. God can do anything. But it's the fact that Balaam responds to the donkey as if this was an everyday occurrence that you talk to your donkey. I mean, come on. There are three small donkeys on the horse farm just east of here. I pass them in the pasture every morning on my way to the office and every time I'm going home. Let's suppose that after church today, on my way home, got the window down, it's a nice cool day, I'm passing the donkeys, and, they, and one of them hollers out, Hey, Ellsworth, you're a lousy preacher. <laughs> now, do you think I'm really going to respond, Oh, yeah? Meet me at the fence and tell me that to my face, Jack. <laughs> if you think for a minute 
that I'm going to do something like that, you're, you're crazy. What I'm going to do is I'm going to be absolutely dumbfounded because I know that something is happening here that is just beyond the pale of human understanding. With the first word out of the donkey's mouth, Balaam should have been on the ground in front of the Lord saying, Lord, what have I done? If my donkey is talking, I know that's only by your power and by your strength. But Balaam misses the whole point. It's because Balaam is serving a Sunday morning only God. And he doesn't think that God is watching or involved any other day of the week. You see, only the God of eternity could be involved in such a moment. And even when the donkey spoke, Balaam remained clueless. Here's what I've learned in life, folks. If you're not expecting God to show up at any other time other than Sunday, you're going to miss out on a lot of help and you're going to miss out on a lot of blessings. People never expect a Sunday morning only God to show up at any other time of life. And that's a sad way to live. Now look at the next verse in the story. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times? The angel of the Lord demanded. Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I have, would have killed you and spared the donkey. We would do well to remember our God is a 24-7 God. That when you're walking with him every day, he will be with you every step of the way. He doesn't want limited influence in our lives. He wants full access to every area of our lives. And by the way, I think this story of Balaam and his donkey is also here to keep preachers humble. When I get to thinking my preaching is pretty good, I just remember that God speaks through donkeys. <laughs> Not just in numbers, but throughout history. The New Testament is not immune to such attitudes as Balaam. Meet Mr. and Mrs. Ananias and Sapphira. They had a Sunday morning only God as well. And they schemed during the week of how they would, well, make themselves look better than they really are. You see, back in the early days of the ancient church, when it was under persecution, people were selling extra things that they had, giving the money to the church so it could be distributed to the people who were without jobs and struggling as Christians. And so Ananias and Sapphira had a piece of ground and they decided they were going to sell it. So they sold it for this price, but they only gave a portion of the money to the church. But they told God and the church this was the whole price that they got for the land. Now, it wasn't the fact that they kept part of the money. I mean, it was their land. It was their money to do with as they pleased. The fact was they were giving part of it to the church. That's a pretty good deal. But that's not what they were after. They were after the praise and the glory of a donation that was beyond their ability to give. Well, not ability to give, but under their desire to give. The problem was that they were lying to God and they were lying to his people. But after all, we've got a Sunday morning only God. God isn't concerned about what we're doing during the rest of the week. But that isn't God. You remember the story probably in Acts chapter 5. God knew about what was going on. God showed up big time on the Lord's Day. And when they presented their partial gift to the church, Ananias and Sapphira never got to spend that extra money because God attended their funerals that day. Their motive was deception. They wanted their money, and they wanted credit for being 
bigger donors than they really were. It was all about them. That's the problem with having a Sunday morning only God. I can compartmentalize my spiritual life away from my moral and ethical life. The two don't have to intersect at all. I can justify dishonesty and make it all about me and not about God. But that's a problem. You see, a faith that does not impact my moral and ethical life is not a genuine faith. How will the world around us know that Jesus is capable of changing lives if they don't see changed lives in the people of Jesus? When we justify questionable business practices by suggesting that, well, everybody cheats a little bit, or when we interact in our social circles with the similar excitement over smutty gossip, or when we ignore the needs of our neighbors while talking a big talk about helping the needy, then we are guilty of serving a Sunday morning only God. Oh, people, if we put our faith in the box of limited influence, we cannot be surprised if our life enjoys limited blessings. He's not a Sunday morning God, and he wants to have influence in our lives. Here's the second box, the box of rules. When God is viewed as merely a Sunday morning only God, we tend to put him in a box of rules and regulations. That he's a God of do's and don'ts. If we end up with more positive do's at the end of the day and few failed don'ts, then we're in good standing and God loves us. But if we end up with not so many good do's and a lot of failed don'ts, then God is angry with us. That's the God of the Pharisees. In the New Testament, the Pharisees who were always at odds with Jesus because they were all about spiritual regulations and restrictions. Jesus, on the other hand, was all about spiritual relationships. The Pharisees knew God's commandments well. They just didn't understand God's compassion well. The Pharisees loved their legalism when the only thing they should have ever been legalistic about was loving God and loving others. Now, don't misunderstand me here. God's commands are vital. They are important. They must not be compromised. We cannot throw away the rule book and pretend that truth doesn't matter. And when we understand that God's rules are for our benefit, not for our restriction, it changes our whole attitude. The Apostle John writes to the ancient church in 1 John chapter 5. He says, this is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And I love this next line. And his commands are not burdensome. Therefore, our benefit. For everyone born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome on the world, even our faith. You see, our obedience is to be an expression of love for him. But our obedience doesn't earn our salvation. It is merely an expression of our gratitude for the fact that God has brought us salvation. And the true believer, the true believer really wants to please God. You see, pleasing a Sunday morning only God, that's no big deal. But pleasing the heavenly father who loves us more than life itself, huh, that's a big deal. Jesus told a beautiful parable. It probably is at the top of everybody's list of favorite parables. And it's a portion of that parable that applies to us so readily this morning. Luke is the only one that records this parable. And it comes as the last of a trilogy of lost things. The lost sheep, 
the lost coin, and the lost son. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. It's the story of a restless young man who begs his portion of the inheritance, then leaves the farm and squanders it all on a meaningless life. And when the money ran out, he took the only job available to him, feeding pigs for a Gentile farmer. Now, at that point in the story, every Jewish mother in the audience would have swooned at such squalor to envision her son feeding pigs on a Gentile farm. It couldn't be. The prodigal finds himself at the very bottom of the barrel and slinks home, determined to apologize and ask if he could simply be treated as a farmhand. But what he finds when he returns is a father who's been watching for him to come home every day, who runs to meet him while he's still a ways off, who puts a family robe on his filthy body, who fits his manure-encrusted feet with clean sandals, who places a ring of honor on a finger that has touched hogs, and who plants a kiss on salty, sweaty cheeks. And on top of all of that, the prodigal gets a party the likes of which have never been seen in that country. We love that story because we want to believe that's our story, that the Father has been waiting for us to come home and runs to greet us, and there's a party in heaven. As a matter of fact, that's what the Bible tells us happens when we come home to him. There is a party in heaven. But it's the second part of the parable that really applies to us this morning. This is where our focus needs to be. You see, not all were happy about the way the prodigal story ended. The older brother who had been working out in the back 40 all day, working hard, comes home at the end of the workday and is caught off guard to find a celebration at the farmhouse. In his confusion, he asks one of the servants what in the world was going on. And hearing that his good-for-nothing brother had returned and that dad had thrown such an extravagant party, he was incredulous. He even refused to enter the house. And the kindly father, leaving the gathering, goes outside, pleads with his older brother to join the celebration. But the normally mild-mannered, obedient, desperate-to-please firstborn exploded in anger. Luke chapter 15, verse 29. Look, he says, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, couldn't even say my brother, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, why, you killed the fatted calf for him. Now this line in the parable probably brought a few amens from the crowd. Finally, there is a voice of reason in the story. Somebody understands this is a price to be paid. Somebody understands that justice has to be done. What this story needs is some good discipline. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. The elder brother knew a Sunday morning only God. For him, it was all about the rules he had kept and the rules his brother had broken. 
He seems oblivious to the father's grief over those long months of waiting for the younger son to return. He seems oblivious to the genuine sorrow and repentance of this now much wiser brother. He seems oblivious to the blessings that he's enjoyed all this time because he didn't rebel. He seems oblivious to the fact that God isn't boxed in by our understanding of what fairness is all about. And he also seems oblivious to his own guilt because not one of us is perfect or without sin. His only concern, justice needs to be done. Is that really what we want from God? Is it justice you want? I don't, I don't think it is. I don't want a God of justice. I want a God of mercy and grace. The father who loved his firstborn son equally reached out to him who was also lost. He was lost to the joy that comes through a second chance. He was lost to the gratitude of everything that he had taken for granted. He was lost to his own desperate need for mercy. He kept the rules. He thought that was good enough. But the father tenderly reminded him that being good wasn't good enough. And he already had everything that he needed in the first place. And then the father added emphatically, but we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate and be glad because this your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Are we a people that rejoices when people come home to Jesus? Are, are we people who are always pointing at the need for justice? At one point or another, I'm going to tell you, we've all been prodigals. And at one point or another, we've all played the part of the older brother. I've been to the faraway lands of wasted living. I've slopped the hogs in the muck and the mire of sin more than once, and so have you. But despite our despicable past, God has graciously come to welcome us home. We return to him in our tattered, foul rags, and he gives us his righteous white robe to cover our guilt. It is a wonderful moment of grace, not because we deserve it, but because grace and mercy is the nature of the Father. But like the older son, I've also been lost in my own efforts to be good enough. And like the older brother, I've also been critical of those who aren't, in my eyes, good enough. No one is ever good enough. All of us have sinned and need the salvation that comes only through the Savior. That's the miracle of grace. But I'm here to tell you this morning, you won't find that grace from a Sunday morning only God. You won't find that grace from a God that is kept locked in a box on the shelf of your heart. You won't find that grace from a God that you try to manipulate to your own needs and your own convenience. God is not a Sunday morning God. And yet I will tell you that God did his best work on a Sunday morning with a stone box called a garden tomb outside of Jerusalem. And if Jesus conquered death, then there are no limits for him. We cannot contain the one who destroyed death in the grave. He's looking for influence in our lives every day, not just on the first day of the week. 
He wants a daily relationship with us, not a weekly checklist of rules that we've kept or broken. He wants to permeate every aspect of our lives so that he can shine out of every moment of our lives. And here's the bottom line, folks. Someday, someday, due to the power of sin and death at work in this world, every one of us will be placed in a box. On that day, do you want a Sunday morning only God? Or do you want a God that can get you out of that box for all eternity? That's the God I need. That's the God I want. Let's get God out of the boxes of our lives. Let's quit making him a Sunday morning only God and honor him for being the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.